Not a lot of news happened this week, but some pretty big changes might be coming to Hollywood, seeing as how a US judge has allowed a class action lawsuit against Universal to move forward. The lawsuit first arose when a couple of moviegoers were browsing Amazon Prime, looking for something to watch, stumbled upon a trailer to Danny Boyle's 2019 film Yesterday, noted that Ana de Armas was in the trailer, watched the movie, and then realized that De Armas was nowhere to be found. So they sued Universal on the grounds of false advertising. Of course, if you know anything about movie making, then you'd know that the marketing process for a film begins months or even years before a movie gets a final lock on its edit. In this case, by the time the trailer for yesterday was made, Ana de Armas was still going to appear in the movie. But her scenes were cut late in the game, because test audiences didn't like the fact that the main character had a secondary love interest. So the problem here is that Ana de Armas still appears in the promotional material years after the movie has been released, in spite of Universal's knowledge that she is not actually in the feature, leading to certain fans of the actress to feel as though they were being conned into watching the movie. Universal's lawyers tried to dismiss the lawsuit, claiming that commercial speech laws do not apply to trailers since they are made with some artistic expression that can be left open to interpretation. But Judge Stephen Wilson has ruled that, at its core, a trailer is an advertisement designed to sell a movie by providing consumers with a preview of the movie. Wilson also made a point of saying that the court's holding is limited to representations as to whether an actress or scene is in the movie, and nothing else. But his ruling could complicate the way that trailers are made, as plenty of trailers contain elements that were ultimately cut from the final edits of their respective films. This could cause quite a slippery slope, but we still have to wait and see if these Ana de Armas fans, who were duped into renting the $3.99 movie on Amazon, will ultimately win the $5 million lawsuit. And I want to know where I can sign up for one of these lawsuits, because I started noticing this shit way back in 2007, when the trailer to I Am Legend featured a shot that wasn't in the theatrical cut of the movie. The scene was later restored in the alternate cut of the film, but still, I was only 13 years old when I noticed this shit, and I could even tell you that the trailer includes a remix to a track called Death is the Road to Awe, which was composed by Clint Mansell for Darren Aronofsky's film The Fountain, and I can't listen to this remix anywhere else but in that trailer. So don't even get me started on the shit that's missing from the Marvel and Star Wars trailers. But ultimately, I don't think that this case is going to be as dramatic as some others may think. I'm pretty sure that Hollywood is smart enough to start including disclaimers at the beginning or end of each trailer moving forward. Saying something like, this preview may feature scenes that are not included in the actual film. Cause that's all they really need to cover their ass. 
But for now, good luck to these guys. They rented a movie for $3.99 and now they're going to cost Universal millions. So kudos to them, because I wish I could have done the same. Donald Glover is set to star in and produce a feature set in Sony Pictures' Spider-Man universe, based on the obscure comic book villain The Hypno-Hustler, a character who uses musical instruments to hypnotize and rob people. Though Glover did briefly appear in Spider-Man Homecoming as Aaron Davis, who happens to be the uncle of one Miles Morales, this movie will be about a completely different character who doesn't exist within the MCU. The Hypno-Hustler may not be one of Spider-Man's most recognizable villains, but according to The Hollywood Reporter, Glover was interested in the musical aspects of the character, along with the fact that he has less baggage, canonically speaking, which would free Glover to have a broader interpretation of the character. The project could be anything from a disco period piece, to a modern hip-hop take, or even a futuristic cyberpunk reimagining. The movie is set to be written by Miles Murphy, son of actor and comedian Eddie Murphy, but no official release date has been scheduled yet. The next few movies set within Sony's Spider-Man universe include Craven the Hunter, El Muerto, and Madam Web, all of which are currently scheduled to be released in late 2023 or early 2024. And I think that all of this sounds incredibly fucking stupid. Why Sony refuses to give creative control over to Marvel at this point is just beyond me. Because while I'm sure that Donald Glover could have an interesting take on this obscure character, I don't have any faith in the actual movie itself being any good. This is the Sony Pictures universe of Spider-Man characters that we're talking about here. The only other films in this franchise are Venom and Morbius. And despite how many people like to bash on the latter movie, Venom and its sequel are just as mediocre as Morbius. And if I were to guess, since Spider-Man has yet to appear in this spin-off universe, the Hypno-Hustler would have to be portrayed as an anti-hero of sorts, and he would go on to battle against an evil character who shares a similar power set to that of his own. And that sounds fucking awful. Yet Sony keeps recycling that exact same plot for each and every one of these movies. I imagine that's because they don't know what else to do with these characters, since they're not all that interesting without Spider-Man's involvement, so characters like Venom and Morbius aren't even allowed to be true villains in their own universe. Why would Sony want to keep making movies like this? So they could one day make a Sinister Six film? The Sinister Six aren't even going to be all that sinister if they keep getting developed as anti-heroes. And a proper in-universe Spider-Man doesn't even exist yet, so who would the Sinister Six even go up against? I don't know, and at this point, I honestly don't care. I love Donald Glover, but I am absolutely perplexed by whatever it is that Sony thinks that they're doing.
I was personally looking forward to seeing Glover reappearing in the MCU with a proper depiction of the Prowler, but I'm not sure if Marvel is ready to introduce a live-action depiction of Miles Morales just yet. You would think they would be, seeing as how they're introducing a whole bunch of new young characters, but whatever, I guess. Hopefully the Hypno-Hustler won't affect any future appearance of Glover as the Prowler, and hopefully, one day, Marvel can have complete creative control over the Sony-owned Spider-Man characters, because I am sick and tired of seeing these mediocre-ass movies. In other comic book news, the DC shakeup continues to confuse fans. After removing Henry Cavill as Superman, most people thought that James Gunn and Peter Safran were planning to reboot the DCEU, but just this week, Gunn himself said that he wasn't booting Gal Gadot from the franchise, and Zachary Levi implied that he also wasn't going anywhere, claiming that he was Gucci. So why would Gal Gadot and Zachary Levi get to stay, while Henry Cavill and Dwayne Johnson get the boot? What exactly are Gunn and Safran planning for this new DC slate? Well, Gunn didn't specifically state that Gal Gadot was going to be playing Wonder Woman, nor did Zachary Levi state that he was going to be playing Shazam. And to be more clear here, Gunn did say that he would be interested in having Henry Cavill play a new character in the DCU, so why would we think he would want anything different from Gal Gadot and Zachary Levi? They could be playing new characters in the DCU, right? Plus, Levi is headlining an upcoming DC film, so what is he supposed to say? That he's not Gucci? That fans shouldn't be excited to see his new movie? Of course not, that's ridiculous. Also, is it impossible to think that James Gunn and Peter Safran would be interested in producing a Wonder Woman 3 or another Shazam sequel concurrently with a rebooted film series? I mean, the DCEU already exists outside of Matt Reeves' Batman universe, along with Todd Phillips' Joker universe, so why couldn't there be another existing film universe? Audiences are already familiar with the concept of a multiverse, right? So what exactly is the big deal here? I don't know, but I think everyone needs to fucking relax. Gunn is putting together a plan that we are not privy to, so all of the shit that he is doing now will eventually start making sense to us later. So there's no point in trying to figure out what that plan is, because the only ones who can see the bigger picture are James Gunn, Peter Safran, and David Zaslav. And I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt here, because it doesn't make sense to get upset over a slate of movies that I have yet to see. I want to know what a Gun and Saffron-led DCU may look like, and in order to do that, I have to let Gun and Saffron make some movies. So everyone just chill the fuck out, yeah? Let's give these guys a chance to do their job. James Cameron has revealed that another Terminator reboot is currently in discussion, though nothing is set in stone at this point. During an appearance on the Smartless podcast, Cameron briefly talked about AI and his interest in exploring it further on screen. 
He said, if I were to do another Terminator film, and maybe try to launch that franchise again, which is in discussion, but nothing has been decided, I would make it much more about the AI side of it than the bad robots going crazy. Cameron also had a recent interview with Deadline, where he spoke about some of the remorse he felt for the poor reception of Terminator Dark Fate. Though he said he was reasonably happy with the film, he also claimed, I think the movie could have survived having Linda in it, I think it could have survived having Arnold in it, but when you put Linda and Arnold in it, and then, you know, she's 60-something, he's 70-something, all of a sudden, it wasn't your Terminator movie. It wasn't even your dad's Terminator movie. It was your granddad's Terminator movie. And though I personally enjoyed seeing Linda and Arnold together again for the first time since T2, I did take some issues with the creative choices that were made in Dark Fate's story. Certain plot beats were frustrating and just rubbed me the wrong way as a longtime Terminator fan. And, ironically enough, it was the new characters that were introduced, the ones who were meant to continue this franchise for a new generation, that I found to be rather dull and unexciting. But there's no denying that the box office performance of the Terminator series, along with the overall reception, has only ever been on the decline since Terminator 2. So if 20th Century Studios wants to keep this franchise alive, maybe a fresh, new, modern take on the material is exactly what's needed. Speaking of things that are old but new again, Netflix has released a new trailer for their upcoming series, That 90s Show, which of course is a follow-up series to That 70s Show. The trailer introduces the newest generation of Point Place teenagers as they get into shenanigans and hang out in the Foreman basement. It also shows that Topher Grace, Mila Kunis, Ashton Kutcher, Laura Prepon, and Wilmer Valderrama will all be appearing to some capacity as special guest stars. And seeing that old cast really made me miss the old show. I originally wanted to watch this series because I am a fan of that 70s show. And as a 90s kid myself, I have a lot of nostalgia for the 90s era. But the show looks a little generic to me, and seeing that the series is going to focus on these new kids instead of on the old cast just doesn't look appealing to me. But I understand that a studio like Netflix would want to bank on an existing IP while also luring in a newer and younger audience, so the show just may not be for me, but I'll probably at least watch the first few episodes when the series drops on Netflix on January 19th. Paramount has released a 9-minute featurette on Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, showcasing how Tom Cruise was determined to perform the biggest and most dangerous stunt in cinematic history. And it is really damn impressive. Tom Cruise is a madman, but his commitment to creating an exciting cinematic experience for his audience is unmatched by any other actor who is working today. He performs his own stunts, he's committed to filming these dangerous stunts practically in camera, and he pushes himself to outdo each and every one of his own crazy stunts. And I respect that. 
Whether he does it because he wants to make the best damn movie possible, or because he just likes to stroke his own ego, is a different conversation altogether, but I can't deny that I do enjoy watching him performing all of these crazy ass stunts. Because whether he's jumping out of a plane, or literally jumping off of a cliff, or even going off into space, Tom Cruise knows how to give the audience a spectacle that is worth watching. Hopefully, he won't accidentally end up filming his own death one day, but until that happens, I will gladly continue to watch as Tom Cruise puts himself in real danger. And I can't wait to see Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 when it finally comes out in July. And finally, according to Avatar News, Avatar Studios is working on a show set after The Legend of Korra. The series would follow a new earthbending avatar, and it could potentially premiere on Paramount Plus as early as 2025. The site also claims that an animated movie featuring this new avatar could potentially be released in theaters sometime after the show comes out. Of course, the first feature film produced by Avatar Studios is scheduled for October 10th, 2025, and it is likely going to be about Aang and his friends while they're in their young adult years. But Avatar News claims that the studio is absolutely working on multiple projects in parallel right now. Netflix's live-action adaptation of The Last Airbender is scheduled to be released sometime in 2023, so if the news of a new animated series is true, then it's looking like a pretty good time to be an Avatar fan. And those are all the big stories that came out this week. It wasn't much, but it was Christmas week after all, so I hope you had a safe holiday season, and I hope you have a happy new year just as well. I'm looking forward to seeing what the new year may bring, and I'm hoping to finally get back into regularly posting my actual reviews. But until then, as always, thanks for listening.